The one who puts a fire under your butt with candlestick flames? Or the one who says you should trade Fibonacci, but you still find yourself losing money 61.8% of the time? It's time to go straight to the source and get the truth about what's working in the markets today with your host, the founder of Top Dog Trading, Barry Burns. Hey everyone, Barry Burns here with Top Dog Trading, and today I'm really excited to have a great, great options trader and educator here. He's at Option Alpha. He's actually the founder and the head trader, Kirk Duplessis. I know him from his website. I actually ran into him, uh, not personally, but just on his podcast. I was going through podcasts and looking for trading podcasts. Came across his Option Alpha podcast, which I highly recommend, by the way, give my highest recommendation, in fact. And I just got really enamored with it, really excited. The teaching is so good and clear, and he's so real. He's so uh, honest, and he's a great teacher, and he understands what he's talking about. And so I personally subscribed, and I've been listening to it ever since. And his website is amazing as well. So anyway, I just had to have him on here because I like to share good things with good people. You're good people. He's good people. So Kirk, welcome to the Top Dog Trading Podcast and video. And we'll probably plaster this all over the place, uh, all kinds of social media to expose you to as many people as possible. So I appreciate well, you for having me. I appreciate it very much. You bet. So um, you're the best one to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in options. So why don't we start there? Sure, sure. It's a, a long story short. I'll try to make it short, um, but I think the story is important. Um, originally, I've always been interested in finance, uh, have had a background in finance, graduated with a degree in finance. Going to school, when I graduated school, everybody in my class went to New York to work for either an investment bank, a prop shop, an equity firm. So I didn't know any better honestly. And I said, okay, well, sure. If everyone else is going, I'll go too. Like, that's what you did. You know, it's kind of, you know, it would be very black hat to do something different. And so decided to go to New York, worked for Deutsche Bank and M&A, um, loved the people, liked the job somewhat, but really hated the hours and the lifestyle. Um, never saw myself, you know, being there, you know, really long. Decided to add a good point and just end up being good luck that I left kind of as things were like falling off the, the cliff in 2007, 2008, um, left Deutsche Bank and went to DC and worked in uh, capital markets as a REIT analyst. I really enjoyed that position. I liked talking with the CFOs and understanding more about a company in depth versus having very, you know, outside perspective on different, you know, companies. Um, and I really enjoyed that position, but ultimately I figured, you know, really what, I knew about the company and what the CFO or CEO knew about the company. And, you know, they, they had pretty good idea on where they were going and what they were going to do. And yet the market was still disentangled from the reality of that, you know, in many cases for REITs, which to me was really fascinating because REITs are just a very simple business model for, for all intents and purposes. It's a glorified, you know, portfolio of bonds essentially. And so um, I thought it was fascinating just how, how disconnected the market can be for some, from something that should be so easy to price. And so left that business. Cause again, just didn't feel like I could ever really like make it there my own and, and do what I wanted to do. And all along I've been, you know, kind of dabbling in trading and trying to understand how I could you know, potentially invest and trade. 
Um, I did everything just like most people do. I tried to day trade. I tried Forex trading. I babysat trades all night. Uh, I babysat like a Canadian pair all night one night and it was absolutely horrible. So, you know, like I realized I didn't have personally, I know that there's people out there who have this because I've seen that there's people out there who have this skill, but I don't have personally the skill of trying to interpret the the lines and the candles on the on the chart as well as other people do. And so for me, I had to gravitate towards something that was more data driven, um, you know, more based on, you know, research and and mechanics and, you know, quantitative as opposed to something so subjective that I just wasn't good at. Um, so eventually I just started trading options and I've been on this literally constant journey for the last 10 plus years, just trying to understand how to become a better trader, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and it's a constant evolving process and will be for the rest of my life. And I truly enjoy that aspect of it. So options to me, I get, I understand it. It jibes with my personality and how I want to trade and, and what I'm used to. And, um, and so I've just been on a personal journey to understand more of it and have been in a fortunate position to share that, that journey with a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think that's a very important point that you just made there is that for each individual, it's important to find your niche, the one that resonates with you, your personality, the way you think, the way your brain works. You know, I, I have people ask me, it's a common question. What is the best fill in the blank? So what is the best market? What is the best time frame? What is the best indicator? What is the best this, that? And I'm like, Dude, there's no, it's like asking somebody where the best place to live is. Like, that's what I always tell people. One of the best place to live because there's no one best place to live, right? Like some people like the cold, some people like the hot, some people want to be near a beach. Some people want to be the mountains. There's no best place, you know, but it's what's best for you. So that's a great comparison. Absolutely. hundred percent. So, okay. Very good. So I'm sure we have a lot of people who have heard of options, but they don't really understand what they are. They're not really clear on, okay, what exactly is this thing? I understand what a stock is. So let's say that I don't know anything. I'm, I have zero knowledge about options. And I come to you and I say, Kirk, uh, what is this thing called a uh, optione? Optione? Is that right, Kirk? What, what, what's an optione? Yeah, well, I don't know. That sounds like a that sounds like a really spicy food that I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> could also be an option contract as well. Oh. Um, you know, the way that I always explain options is, you know, um, I always start with the foundation of people understanding that stocks are easy to understand, and that's why everybody trades them, and that's why there's a million trading strategies around stocks because when you break it down, all you're trying to do is one of two things essentially with stock trading. You're trying to buy a stock at a low price and sell it at a high price or sell it at a high price and buy it at a low price, but it's very one dimensional. So it's just price and time for, for, mo- for the most part really isn't a factor because you could hold it for a minute, you can hold it for two weeks, you can hold it for two years. And as long as you get the buy at a low price, sell at a high or sell at a high price, buy at a low price, everything works out, right? Options introduce a much more complicated structure around investing because it's more um, like I call it like quadratic, really, essentially. But not only do you have the underlying stock, and the reason we call it the underlying to an option contract is because option contracts, for those of you who are watching the video, you get a little bit more more than if you're listening to a podcast, but you have the option contract, which is here, the base level, and then you have the, uh, um, I'm sorry, the stock, uh, the st- underlying stock or ETF, which is the base level. And then you have the option contract, which is on top, and it derives its value from the stock or the security. 
And so we call it underlying because it's underlying the actual option contract itself. So you not only have to worry about the underlying price movement, so is the stock going up or down, but now you have to worry about things like time, volatility, right? You have to worry about, you know, in many cases for longer dated option contracts, things like row and interest rate risk, right? So you have these additional components that make it a little bit more difficult, not impossible, but a little bit more difficult to assess the value of a position because it's not just so simple as did the position go up or down? You know, did the stock go up or down? It's did the stock go up or down? And how, do we get closer to expiration or not? Did the position, the stock go up or down? And did we get closer to expiration? And did implied volatility go up or down? So you have to ask yourself some additional questions as you start getting into option contracts. So if you understand that there's just more components to an option contract, then I think the education part of trading becomes how do you break those components down and individually understand what makes each of them move an option price. Um, and so when you get down to like really the, the bare bones of starting to understand option contracts, it is truly a risk reward trade-off in every sense of the word. Uh, it to me is the epitome of, of what truly is financial risk and reward. You are either risking something in exchange for having some reward and those two things have to be continuously offset in the sense that there's no free lunch in the market. There's no cheap trade that always wins. There's no expensive trade that always wins. You have to give something up in order to get something. You have to understand what is truly the trade-off in risk and reward for every position that you get into. And I think if you at least start with that premise, there's a lot of nuances and I'm sure we can't get through all of them today, but you start with that understanding that an option contract is just a little bit more complicated for time and volatility um, and you understand those components, I think you'll be on the right track if that helps out. Okay. So if options are more complicated and multidimensional in their pricing, then why would anyone want to trade them when they can just trade the stock itself? And that's so much more simple. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I appreciate you kind of re-steering it back because I wanted to re-steer it back to, I guess, your original question, which is like, how do I understand them? So stocks are very simple, like we said, because it's one directional. The reason you would want to trade options is because of the leverage that an option contract has. So option contracts are leveraged in pretty much all cases on a one to 100 basis, which means that one option contract controls 100 shares of stock. So rather than buy 100 shares of stock, you could trade one option contract, which effectively controls 100 shares of stock. Now, as we know, leverage is to me like medicine, like a little bit will help, but a lot will kill you. So oftentimes people over leverage their portfolios and they don't get the full benefit because they basically put themselves into a tailspin of having too much leverage. So that's the main benefit of trading contracts as far as the capital is required, right? So in many cases, the capital required to trade options is significantly less because you have a leveraged contract. So as long as you just understand that it's leveraged, you can scale back and not trade your full account with it. The other thing that you can do with option contracts is you can pit different option contracts against each other and create these combinations of strategies. So unlike a stock position where you only have the choice to either go long stock or short stock, meaning you want the stock to go up or you want the stock to go down, with options trading, you can combine different types of option contracts buying and selling, calls and puts, and you can basically create and build strategy payoff diagrams that do whatever you think the stock is going to do. So if you think the stock is going to make a huge move in one direction, but you just don't know what direction, 
there's an option strategy for that. If you think the stock is just going to stay range bound and it's going to move between X price and Y price over the next 30, 60, 90 days, great. You can basically create a payoff diagram and a strategy around that possible outcome. If you think that stock is potentially going to stay where it is, might move higher, but potentially could go lower, you just want to trade it below some level or above some level, you could create a payoff diagram that does that. So options to me, no pun intended, give you a lot of flexibility and options in how you can build payoff diagrams to fit whatever your market you know, analysis and expectation is moving forward. And that changes, you know, like right now, you might have one type of you know, thought process on the market and it might change tomorrow. You, know, you might have a completely different thought process on where things are going or how fast things might move. And options allow you to quickly re-pivot an entire portfolio if you want to versus if you're trading stock, your only decision is, do I stay long or do I sell out, right? And go short. I mean, you really don't have much flexibility until you introduce some sort of options trading on top of it. Now, how do you personally develop that opinion or that evaluation of the market? In other words, what you think it's going to do, go up, go down, go sideways, all those different um, things that you mentioned there, and then put an option strategy around that. How do you determine your evaluation of what a stock or an index is going to do? Yeah. So, well, there's two things that we have to understand first. So the first thing we have to understand is that option contracts can be traded at any duration that you want that's available. And what I mean by that is you can make a trade that lasts for a day, seven days, two weeks, two months, three months, potentially two years if there's contracts that go out there. So the first thing you have to do is you have to match up the duration of how long you want to trade. Of course, there's, you know, gives and takes. You trade shorter contracts, they may profit faster, but they might lose faster. You have to trade them every every week or every couple of weeks. You trade a longer duration contract, could cost more money to start, but you don't have to frequently, you know, retrade the same contract over and over again. So once you match up that duration, I think that that is ultimately what is going to tell you what type of analysis you have to do. So if I'm doing analysis on a trade and I don't do these trades this far out, but let's say I wanted to make a trade that was two years out. Well, my analysis might be completely different for a trade that's two years out than it would be for a trade that's two days out. Um, and so that would be the first, the first you know, hurdle that you have to get over. For most of the trading that I do since I'm 60, 60 ish days from expiration when I start a trade. So if I start a trade today, it probably expires in about 60 days or so that requires almost no analysis from me because that time frame is so short that I don't think that I have a significant edge trying to pick the direction, right? Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, you can, you can trend trade and you can use moving averages and you can use technicals. And I get it. And we did a lot of research on that. And there are definitely some that help, but the differential that those indicators have is probably very small in your ability to accurately predict direction. So we're not talking that an indicator can be, you know, right 90% of the time. We're probably talking like 56% of the time, 55% of the time, right? Like it's very small. It's an edge, but it's a very small edge that has to occur many, many times in order for it to present itself. So when you trade a shorter duration like that, to me, I think that there's very little you can do in trying to pick direction, which is why I personally believe most people should trade mostly neutral strategies 
because we really don't have an edge in picking that direction. You could go another step further and say, well, if we don't have an edge in picking direction on a shorter time period, do we have an edge in a longer time period? And I think that, of course, there's been you know research out there. I mean, trend is definitely something that works. Momentum, value are things that you can use, but it might take a really, really long time in order for those to, to really present themselves. So if you're trading on a shorter duration time period, you know, you can definitely use technicals and chart patterns and whatever, just understand that you probably don't have as much of an edge as you think you might have using those. So I, I wouldn't do everything one-sided, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. So you normally are trading 60 days out. So do you ever day trade options? Yeah. So I get this a lot. And I know it's a big question. I personally do not day trade options. I know a lot of people like to day trade options for my personal style. Like I'm an old soul. I think that they move way too fast for what I would want to do. And I've already established in my time that I you know, started where I tried to make it and tried to, you know, day trade and, you know, try to really leverage up my account quickly. But I'm really bad at picking direction. Um, and I have bad emotional habits, just like everyone else does, where I try to fight back against the market. And, you know, and I try to, you know, double down on a trade, like I used to do all that stuff. And so for me, trying to day trade is just a quicker way to leverage what I'm already not good at, essentially. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that I would do for sure. Yeah. Well, that's back to what you said earlier. Know thyself, the cornerstone yep. of all wisdom. And uh, yeah, and I'm fascinated by like, I see people and they're, you know, people send me videos and screenshots and emails and they're like, you know, I did this quick day trade and, you know, like they great, like all, you know, all power to you. To me, it's too enticing to where like, I know I'm not good at it. So if I was to do it and if I was to make a good trade, it would be a false positive. It would be something that I shouldn't have done that I got rewarded for doing and would make me try to do it again. And I won't do so. Now, what do you think about binary options? I get a lot of questions about binary options and especially from people who don't have a lot of money. And well, that's another conversation, but yeah, let's just talk about binary options. So what's your opinion of them? I I think if you wanted to trade them, you could definitely trade them. It's more of a stock type thing to me because it's a yes or no, you know, is it above this level or below this level? And I think that that becomes really, it's attractive, right? But to me, I I don't even talk about it because I, I think that it's so far on the spectrum of what true scalable finance is that I don't think it's worth your time to look at. Okay. Interesting. So do you personally have a favorite option strategy or a couple of strategies that you use consistently? Yeah. So I would say you could group all of mine to just the general term of option selling. But I would say that what our strategy has evolved into doing over the last year and a half to two years or so is a short volatility strategy on the center or like the middle. So option selling strategies around where the stock is trading with a long volatility strategy on the far edges and wings. And I know that that might sound confusing, but it's actually not. The idea is that we know from research, not only research we've done, and we have a crap ton of research that we've done, but also research from so many other publications and shops and investment firms out there, that option pricing is is overpriced. And what I mean by that is that option pricing assumes that the market's going to make all these big moves, and most of the time it doesn't happen. So most of the time you get compensated as an option seller, just like very much an insurance contract, 
uh, casino, same thing like general analogy, you get compensated your edge from selling your premium, selling your insurance and collecting the small premium that you collect in the differential between pricing over time. But we also know, and we just went through a great example of this back in March, that black swans not only happen, but they're more severe and faster, larger magnitude happen more frequently than option models suggest. And so we believe that option pricing models are wildly underpricing the risk of large, huge black swan moves on a reoccurring basis. So what we like to do is we like to take the premium that we collect from selling options near at the money or very close to at the money. We use a little bit of that premium to buy basically these long wings, these long options far out of the money in case those events happen. They don't blow up our portfolio. It might sting, but it's not going to deliver, like to me, the knockout punch. Like we might get beat up, but we're not going to get knocked out. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my strategy. So short volatility at the center, right at where the market's trading, long volatility on the wings, try to manage my you know, risk and uh, balance of my portfolio. And then ultimately from there, it's just a, a mechanics game. Okay. And for those who are more familiar with option strategies, what type of option strategies are you oh, talking about? I didn't even say that. I just talked to generalities, but yeah. So short volatility strategies would be things like straddles, strangles, right? Those would be undefined risk. So those wouldn't have those tail protections. Um, But then you could have things like iron butterflies, which I'm very, very uh, like, I really like iron butterflies. A lot of the research and data that we do, there's always iron butterflies seems to be really stable. Um, Iron condors, credit spreads are great ones. So really nothing that is, you know, wildly one directional. We like to do a lot of things neutral. Um, and those to me are all one and the same. It's just, you know, a little bit of difference in how much capital and how much, you know, risk you're taking and what the probability of success is. But iron butterflies, iron condors, straddles, strangles, credit spreads, uh, all effectively, you know, capture around the same premium. Right. And when you do credit spreads, what is a typical risk reward ratio that you're looking for? I think it depends on the credit spreads. I mean, like there's a lot of people who say, you know, you need one third the width of the strikes or you need half the width of the strikes or you need 20% of the width of the strikes or, or some arbitrary number. But you know, what we find in credit spreads through a lot of testing is that frankly, just, and, and this, it sounds simplistic, but it's actually not. If you really break it down, the wider, the better, right? Within reason, like the wider the spread, the better. So even though as you go wider in a spread, you might not take in the same one third the risk width of the strikes or the 20% of the you know, premium. What we find is that because those spreads are wider, they end up holding them less. So they end up you know, generating returns quicker because they're not offset so closely together. You have more flexibility in them. They take in larger premiums, which moves their break-even point further out. That means they have higher win rates. I mean, like, so there's a lot of secondary metrics that aren't factored into option pricing to a point at which everyone says, oh, this is a good spread or a bad spread. I think it also comes down to looking at relative spreads whenever you start trading. So if you're going to make a trade and you're looking at a spread in SPY, we'll try to build out the same spread in, in DIA and IWM because those are so closely correlated that they're effectively going to be the same trade. So which one pays better that day? And, and it often might be one or the other, or, you know, maybe they all pay the same, but I would look at that more than just having some, 
number that says you have to do this, this pricing on a spread in order for it to be effective. Right. Now, in these credit spreads, uh, is your ultimate goal to hold to expiration and just keep all the premium, or do you like to close out your positions before expiration? Yeah, so this one's tough for me. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, Like five years ago, I would have said, absolutely, 100% close it before expiration, right? And numbers get thrown around like 25%, 50% profit targets. And while that's not a bad strategy, and our research would suggest and our like real trading suggests that actually that does well. When we do more research around just like the frequency of trading, what we find is that when you hold positions generally closer to expiration, they make more money. But the trade-off is that they win less often, which makes sense. And their drawdowns tend to be a little bit higher. So to me, that gets back to the question of like, what is a better style for somebody? So for a new trader, I would say new trader, for sure, take money off the table because you want to increase your win rate. You don't want to be subjective to large drawdowns if you can manage it. Your goal as a new trader is to not die and not blow up your account, right? And but as an experienced trader, if you've you know been through some market cycles and you feel like you could you know handle that additional risk, then generally holding a little bit closer to expiration might be better. That doesn't mean you hold all the way to expiration, maybe till the last couple of days of expiration, and then you start removing positions. Um, like today, we had an SPY position that was like within 10 points of the market, and we took it off at two pennies, and somebody emailed, and they're like, why'd you take that position off? It was going to expire. And I'm like, well, we don't know that it was going to expire. Like something really weird could have happened at the end of the day, and a two penny, you know, something that we could have taken off for two pennies could have been $20. I mean, I don't know. So I think that you do have to manage risk like that, where you can absolutely remove positions that have gone most of the way, right? And and are really, you know, if something, and this is where I think, uh, you know, if you have something that really profits early in the cycle and makes the a vast majority of the potential profit and still got 30 days to go, why not take it off, right? You sold something for a dollar and now it's worth 15 cents don't say, well, Kirk said hold much closer to expiration. No, like in that case, like it made most of the money. Don't wait 30 days to make another 15 cents. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Because one of the ways I look at it is, okay, well, gosh, like you said, if I made all this money and there's only 15 cents left in that 30 days, I could take that same money and reinvest it in something else and, you know, make it faster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and that actually, that like methodology or thought process is really good because I ask people that all the time, like, would you reopen this contract? Right. So right. would you sell this for 15 cents for 30 days? Like, oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. Right. Well, that's essentially what you're choosing to do by your actions every time. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. That's right. That's how you have to look at it. Now, since you're selling, do you ever get concerned about um, getting, let's say, you're not trading a cash index, but you're trading a, a stock and yep. you sold the stock. Do you ever worry about getting that assigned to you? And if so, how would you handle that? So I think assignment can be definitely worrisome to people because of the risk that's involved in holding the stock position. So do I personally get assigned about worrying? I don't, but my account is at a level where I can handle a bunch of stock positions that get assigned and I don't have to worry about it. But if I had a smaller account, like something under 25,000 or, you know, under 20,000, you know, something smaller where, yeah, an assignment is going to create this huge negative balance for a time. 
then I think it's something that you have to be cautious about. You have to understand what's actually happening. And to me, this is a great reason why when you're a smaller trader, that you should only trade risk-defined positions that are spreads because a spread position allows you the flexibility to quickly remove the assignment if you don't want it or if you can't handle it. So assignment to me is nothing bad because nothing really happens other than you have exchanged an option contract for the actual shares. Pricing wise, it should all still be about the same. People don't really track their pricing that well. So when they see the assignment, they don't remember that they maybe collected a premium on selling an option contract, right? And they have to factor that in. So if you track it right and you understand what actually happens, assignment isn't bad. It's just the contracts are changing from options to stock and nothing really else happened, right? Besides that. But it's that change in the price, in the the capital that's required to hold the position that becomes troubling. Um, but if you have a defined risk spread, you could easily offset that position or reverse the shares and close the position. It's a manageable thing. And to me, you know, like assignment is really fascinating because, well, one, we know that assignments and expirations happen every week, right? So there are option contracts that literally expire every week. That doesn't mean that you have to trade them every week, right? I trade mine 60 days out. So my expiration comes once a month on a you know 60-day rolling period. And once I get to that expiration, I know I might potentially have assignments. Like it's just part of the business. It's part of the process. And so I feel like if you don't run away from assignments and you kind of lean into them and kind of try to really understand them, you'll find out that it's not as big of a deal as it you know ultimately ends up being. In fact, there was a story, I don't know if you saw the story, I'm sure people did, this poor kid who was a Robin Hood trader that you know committed suicide and it was all because of a spread that was assigned and he didn't understand what was actually happening. If he had just potentially just waited and let the glitch or whatever, you know, I mean, who knows like whatever happened with the Robin Hood platform, but if he understood what was actually happening, yeah. it would have never, it, it, he would have still been here right? And like, this is why education is so important. So you understand exactly what happens in these assignments, you know, how to deal with them, you know, what they are before it happens to you, because it's going to happen. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Right. Yeah. That was just beyond sad. I, I did see that. It really is. It, you know, like that to me is the thing where I'm glad that we're even talking about this right now, because this gets to the heart of like why I do this, because if you don't understand what these contracts are, please do not trade them until you understand them. You know, right. I mean, this poor kid, like he committed suicide because he just, he frankly just didn't understand what was happening. He really wasn't at a major risk, you know, of losing all of that. I think it was like negative 760,000 or something. He wasn't at risk of that. Like he had a spread and, and it's, just, it's really sad. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that again um, goes toward education as you were just starting to talk about there. So um, let's talk about that. A, because options are a little more complicated, but that complication also provides more flexibility as you were talking about. So it's kind of a two-sided coin, but because they're more complicated, actually any type of trading, in my opinion, oh, and it's complicated. Yeah. yeah, people <laughs> need sure. to get educated. Don't go out there and just start throwing money at the markets with your trading with your gut or just think, well, I'm really smart. Or in fact, I'll tell you with my students, um, people come to me, and well, Ali, it's actually another friend of mine. I've seen the same um, 
dynamic that he's talked about though. So I have a friend who's been teaching for a lot longer than I have. And he's a very, my worst students are usually uh, physicians, engineers, and accountants. And I was really surprised to hear him say that at the time. And he says, yeah, they're just so, um, so in their head. Yeah. <laughs> he said, that's, that's the irony. You wouldn't, you would never guess that. And I said, yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. And he said, but yeah, he said they are just so uh, smart and confident. And it's a different uh, tool set, a mental tool set you need for trading. Now, you know, when you're building a bridge, if you're an engineer, oh yeah, every little thing is really important. People's lives are on the line. But um, the markets are kind of, you know, kind of messy at times and they have kind of a, a noise to them. And um, if you, it's like in life, if you overthink life, you'll never get anything done. Sure. And, um, you know, and that's why options are so great, too. I think they give you uh, a little bit more flexibility to be wrong. If we even want to use that word, I don't like using that word in trading, really. But, you know, they give you that flexibility. And so, the you know, like when you're, you're selling options, um, the market can go down like vertical spread or something, credit spread. It can go down. It can go sideways. Or it can even go up a little bit and you can still make money. <laughs> you got all that that wiggle room, so to say, where you can still make money. I don't like to use the term be right, but, um, and that's great. You know, now, yeah, you might be risking a little bit more than uh, your reward would be, but as you said, you can always come in and adjust and they're very flexible instruments and that's why I like them. But because there's all those moving parts, it's really important to get a great education. So tell us about what you offer with regard to education for options. I mean, look, I think that options education is out there everywhere. I mean, so what we do at Option Alpha, you know, like the broad strokes is actually nothing, you know, like earth shattering or, you know, monumental. It's just that we teach it in a way that we think is a, a great way to, you know, present the process and present the education flow. So whether you, you know, learn from Option Alpha or learn from you or learn from, you know, somebody else, most of the education is out there. You can get the answers to what you, you know, what you ultimately want in trading. My thought process on education is that I am a firm believer that you have to educate yourself on the core foundational elements. So these are, you know, ultimately these are the things that really are, you know, boring topics to, to cover, but you know, what is expiration? What is assignment? What is dividend risk? You know, who is the OCC? How do assignments work? How does the exercise process work? And this is really not the stuff that we actually got involved in trading and investing for. Like this is not, you know, exciting and sexy and like this is not who we are as traders. But if you don't understand that, then it is the quickest way to bankrupt yourself because you're going to get caught in a little technicality or a little gotcha that you didn't have the time to, to go in and learn and, you know, take you know, just basically put into your mental toolbox. Mm -hmm. I think once you understand those, you start building very simple option strategies, long calls, long puts, short calls, short puts, and you start doing it on a paper trading basis. And you understand the flow and the rhythm of the market. And you do that for a little bit. And then you start doing more complicated. And it's this like stair step progression of complexity where you start doing the foundation, the simple option strategies, the complex ones, now you start linking together complex option strategies of different, you know, ticker symbols. So now you're building portfolios. Now you're starting to run cash balances and, you know, negative cash balances or whatever you want to do so that you ultimately start building your way up to the point at which you become more of a trader. 
Um, but I think that it's that progression that ultimately people try to skip. They, they fast forward that and they think they can get from New York to LA in 10 seconds if they just follow this person or do this thing or follow this strategy. But if you don't understand the mechanics of what's going on, then it's like driving a car blind. I mean, it's like, it's a one-way street to wreck like head-on collision with, you know, the road. It just, it's a bad recipe for success. And what I find personally is that, and I don't know if it's necessarily an engineer versus a physician, it's just usually people who have backgrounds in trading and investing. They get into a rut of trying to do what they've always done. And most of the time we are humans in the sense that we have a obsessive need to try to fix something that's not working at the time. And what I find is that people try to mess with their strategies. They mess with their portfolios. They mess with their allocations. They mess with their budget all the time because they feel like something's off where it may not be off. It's just the market is, you know, giving a different distribution of returns that month. Um, and I often find it's the people who are really smart, who feel like there's something wrong and something missing that mess with it too much. And then they get into analysis paralysis, they break, they don't do anything at all and they miss a huge opportunity. So I don't know if that helps, but that's, you know, so that's what we do at Option Alpha. We just have free courses, free training, education, downloads, research, et cetera. We try to give you everything so you can come in and use and abuse us and, um, and take whatever you want and learn and go and never say thank you if you want, or you can come in and use it forever and say thanks and email us and, you know, have a conversation back and forth, whatever you want to do. Like we're here to help educate as many people as possible. Wow. That's, that's great. Oh, you mentioned something there too. I just want to follow up on because I don't uh, hear too many people talk about this. I hear people talk about option strategies and trading in general and what the market's doing today. But you mentioned something there that's really, really important, and that is putting together a portfolio. So I think a lot of people think of you know income strategies, and there's a lot of promotions out there, and frankly, a lot of hype about monthly income strategy with options. But sure. nobody's you know, and that's okay. I'm not denigrating that at all. But that's very short term. But I like how you focus on the long term. You actually have education that teaches people how to put together a portfolio over time and build long term wealth. Uh, speak to that a little bit more. Well, I mean, in, in all investing, whatever discipline you look at, so like I'll use something else besides options trading to prove the point, but like, for example, in stock trading, there's a, a real big divide, if you will, between things like value stocks and growth stocks, right? And value stocks can go years, decades of underperformance against growth stocks. And at the same time, growth stocks can go years of underperformance against value stocks. It's not that one is always better than the other. It's a different methodology. It's a different mechanics, you know, mechanics of understanding how they analyze and pick and choose portfolios. But what people do in the world of options trading is they want something that has this like a hundred percent level steady income. And you don't get that even in things like value, growth, trend, you get that in nothing except a savings account, right? Essentially, it's where the only place you can get that or a job. So when you come into investing, you should have this expectation that I want to be at, you know, Y place in five years. That's the expected outcome. And I know that the distribution of returns that I'm going to get is not going to be even. I'm not going to have, the market is not so friendly as to say, 
okay, this month you make 500, this month you make 500, this month you lose 200, this month you make 500. No, like it could be wildly different, you know, from month to month. And you could go through periods where you have a long peak, you know, peak to trough time where you just, you feel like you're underperforming the market for a really long time, but your mechanics are fine and you're doing the right thing. It's just how the returns are distributed, you know, how the numbers shake out. There's a really good book and we interviewed the co-author because the main author died um, a couple of years ago, but the book on the misbehaviors of markets really like lays this out in very, very simple terms. This idea that there's even in a, you know, 50, 50 heads and tails, you know, coin flip, there could be, you know, this long string of tails underperforming heads. And most people think in a 50, 50 coin flip, it's always going to be tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, but it just doesn't happen that way in reality. So it's fascinating to watch people's mindset and perception coming into trading, because I think that what you're saying is totally true, where people get sucked into this idea of, you know, using these strategies to create a steady monthly income, whereas they should be using it to create an expected outcome that they're working towards. Um, And I think that that mindset would be more appropriate than the alternative. Right, right. And then they really go into a tailspin when they get a, a natural drawdown that where there's nothing really wrong, but they start doubting their strategy. And they may have a really rock solid strategy for the long term, but short term, and so many of us think really short term, we get affected by that. The fear enters in. It's like, oh my gosh. And so then what do they do? Well, then they start trying different strategies. And they jump from one to another to another, never really learn one intimately. And they'll stick with one as long as that one works <laughs> for them. And it might even be a bad one. But like you say, then they might get a, a false positive where it's like, oh, I made some money with a strategy that perhaps at its core, its principle really is not sound. That's the most deadly. That's the yep. most deadly one to me. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, patience. And, you know, one of my slogans is to quote myself is that professionals outpatient amateurs. I love it. I like that. I think you're totally right. I've always, I, I've actually said before, I feel like, and not, not that I always, you know, like, not that I always do this because I get emotional like everyone else does, but I feel like I have more patience than the average person. Mm. Um, I feel like that level of patience serves me well. Um, I was going to say like, you know, you look at the best, I always like to play this game with people. Um, and I don't think it's it's not meant to be like manipulative or whatever, or not meant to put them in a bad position, but it's a framing game that I play with people. And I asked them, I said, you know, who's the greatest investor of all time? And nine times out of a hundred, somebody says, well, Warren Buffett is the greatest investor. And I wouldn't, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't argue. The guy's been incredible, right? Whether you think his recent performance is good or bad or whatever, the guy's been incredible for his life, right? And you look at his actual returns and you find he went through not only multiple large drawdowns, but multiple periods where he returned zero for about a decade. And you think to yourself, if I'm Warren Buffett, or if I'm somebody watching Warren Buffett, and I know now he's the greatest investor of all time, or you could make that argument, what happened in that time period where he went through almost a decade of zero returns? And think about that, that's 10 years of really no growth. That's really hard, but that's a guy who stuck with the eventual outcome that can, that had enough patience to go through that period, knowing that, you know, for the most part, he's making the right decisions. Right. And so if we can try to do that in our trading and we firm in understanding why we're trading, what we're trading and see the outcome, 
we should be more than confident to go through periods of underperformance and even overperformance and, and just knowing that this may not last, you know, like I may go through a drawdown um, at some point. I think we would be better served to do that. Absolutely. Well, Kirk, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. A lot of wisdom there, a lot of great insight and you know the realities of trading as opposed to the hype. So I really appreciate that. Why don't we finish up by just um, sharing with us how people can reach you and get access to anything that you have to offer. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. And thank you for having me. And anybody who wants to contact us can reach us. We're pretty much everywhere at Option Alpha on all the social media platforms. And of course, all of our free training and content is available at optionalpha.com. Okay, simple enough. All right, my friend. Thank you again. And uh, all my best wishes to you. And I look forward to staying in contact. And uh, maybe we'll have you on the show again um, as markets continue to change and evolve. And we continue to change and evolve and grow as traders. Look forward to um, talking with you again real soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Online Trading to Win podcast with Barry Burns. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher and leave a great review. For more information about our free indicators and courses, visit OnlineTradingToWin.com. Neither Online Trading to Win, Top Dog Trading, nor Barry Burns are registered as securities broker-dealers or investment advisors, either with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission or with any state securities regulatory authority, and are not licensed to provide investment advice. Trading and investing involves substantial risk. Financial loss even above the amount invested is possible and common. We do not imply, predict, or guarantee that you will be successful in earning any money whatsoever. Past results of any individual trader are not indicative of future returns by that trader and are not indicative of future returns which may be realized by you. We do not assume responsibility or liability for your trading and investment results. This is provided for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice.